We have always existed, and we are still here. Telling the stories of those slung dead, we won't disappear. We're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you. Queer History Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Will. And today we're going to be talking about Miriam Katoon Malkara. Which is a story that I really loved researching and I really loved writing because it was a story I knew almost nothing about. And I learned a lot about the culture of her country while researching it. And also I got called out, which was good. There's actually all this weird controversy around this particular article and I'm really excited to dive into it with all of you because, you know, it's gonna we're gonna explore some exciting things we have some things to bring up in wrecking the queers will has a great recommendation um before we start any of that though let's talk about news for this thing that is our podcast slash project so first um, news is i'm back will's back you can tell by the great quality of the audio yeah it's better than last month's it's so much better than last month. Um, yeah, Will's back. Will's back from Norway. Will was at a museum being amazing. And Will's back now, which is why we had a little bit of a delay in putting this episode out. But I hope y'all won't kill us. Anyone who's not a patron will have not noticed a delay, but patrons will have. Because patrons get our podcast like a month earlier. So they notice like a three or four day delay in what is usually around the end of the month every month releasing a podcast. So I think it was like a four day delay in the end. Wait, actually it's six days. Whoops. It's a six day delay in the end, um, which we're very sorry about, but I just wanted to wait till Will got home because it just meant like a really significantly better quality of audio. And I'm really excited. So if you want to get the podcast episodes early and have the news earlier than anyone else does, you should become a patron. Also, if you're already a patron, here's some news that you're going to get earlier than anyone else in the world. Yes, I'm just going to say world. I'm just going to go ahead with that. First, we, as you know, we did a queer arts market here in Edmonton and we sold a whole bunch of amazing queer books. I think we so ended up selling almost 100 for such cheap prices. And a lot of them were like involving queer history and a lot of them were nonfiction, which I, I just love selling nonfiction queer books because I think they're so useful and they're so expensive. I know at least one or two of them were in reality, like, well, not in reality, but for retail price right now, $40. And we got to sell them for a dollar, which is such a huge thing to me. And I'm so excited to have been able to do. And guess what? I'm going to be able to do it again. We're going to be running another queer arts market and making queer stories going to be tangentially involved. And specifically, I'm really excited to sell these books again because we still have some books left over from last time. And we have even more amazing queer donations. And that means we get to sell them super cheap and just get these books out there which is so amazing and something I'm really passionate about. If you can't tell from our recommendations, I read a lot. And I think reading is a really, really valuable thing, especially for queer people. Because when I was younger, almost exclusively, reading was where I found people or times or places that understood me. Because I lived in a very rural community, one that <laughs> did not have a, a wide range of voices being listened to in it. And I got to experience a much wider range in books, in movies, in television, but 
what I was always most passionate about was books. And as an adult, I still have such, such a deep love for queer books. So much so that I just, I'm reading constantly. You can ask anyone. I, I always have an audiobook going. And side note, for anyone who wants really cheap, you've probably heard this, but really cheap queer books, resources, whatever, you need to get on Libby. Y'all need to be on Libby right now. Or any um, library connected app. If you have a phone, which I assume you do because you're listening to this podcast, but it can also work on laptops. So if you're listening to us on a laptop or something like that, that, that will also work. Um, there are library apps that connect automatically to your library and you have access to all the audiobooks and ebooks your library has access to, which has been such a huge help for me and has made my life 3,000 times easier. I think 3,000 is the mathematical exact. About, I think 3,005. 3,005. And it also means I don't buy crap books. Yes. Which is so helpful because I read this really garbage queer book. Okay, it... It wasn't garbage because it was queer. It was garbage because it treated queer people like shit. Um, specifically, the like bisexual character was like super greedy and cheating on everyone, and like he was like such a stereotype and like a really nasty stereotype. And you know, ugh, it was so frustrating. And then like it was sort of excused, like he was like racist and like homophobic and all these disgusting things. But it was like he's bisexual, so it's okay. I'm like, what's going on? It was a nightmare, and it ended. <laughs> it was a book that I hated so much. It completely revolutionized my book buying process. So I don't buy books anymore unless I've already read them, which is a huge help as a queer person because it weeds out all the homophobic books that exist out there and all the shitty queer representation that exists out there. And we're also going to be talking about queer representation at the end of this episode because I have... um. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know we have a section called Wrecking the Queers, where we recommend a piece of media, which is Will's turn to do this month, and we also talk about any corrections or additions that we have. And this isn't one that's been emailed into the show, but this is one that's been going on on our Tumblr that I've just really loved the discussion around. And it's not even a correction, I just really love what everyone's been saying. And I sort of just wanted to share it with y'all and have this discussion on the podcast as well. Because if you're not following us on social media, that's totally fine. Social media isn't everything everyone's thing, but you should definitely be hearing these discussions as well and have some sort of access to them. Because I just thought this discussion was definitely one of my favorites that's happened in, in our thing. Um, what else? I think also we're reaching a new goal very soon. And when we reach that new goal, we're going to be releasing a massive playlist of queer music. It's not queer music we made, but it's that would queer. Be fun too. That'd be amazing. It's queer historical music. So music by people who were queer in history. Generally that we've written about, but there's a couple in there that I just know are queer, so I just threw them in anyways. It's it started out as just something I enjoyed doing because I would be researching someone who was queer and who made music, and I was like, you know what? I want to listen to this music while I'm writing about them. I think that'll sort of add a dimension. To, to writing this article. So I just like added them to this playlist. And I kept adding and I kept adding. And at a certain point I was like, maybe other people would be interested in this. And by that point, I think I had like 200 songs or something ridiculous like that. I have a lot of songs on this playlist and it's a little bit of a messy playlist. I, I recommend you listen to it on shuffle and not straight through. Cause you'll just like have chunks of just artists. <laughs> Because I'll just like add them and all their songs or their entire discography and stuff like that. But I really am excited to release this because I there's been a lot of interest in it. And I think it would just be really fun. It's just like a really fun Spotify playlist that I enjoyed making. And I'm excited to share with you. But if you want to hear it, 
you're going to have to become a patron. Mm-hmm. It's also going to be the ideal party list. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to be definitely clubbing to this. This is mm-hmm. Josephine Baker. This is all the, all the greats. There's uh, definitely going to be clubbing. You, you misunderstand me. You know you know the like typical queer party where it's just like seven people, one guitar and a couch and yes. three dogs? Mm-hmm. That's the party music I'm talking about. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. You better. I'm a fool. Yes. I'm a fool. Um, also, some advanced news for all our amazing patrons. If you're not a patron, you'll just be hearing this later. That's life. Um, the article that I've written, I've just written is something that I'm really proud of and I'm really excited to share with you. It's um, about a woman who was detained by ICE uh, in 2007 and then died within the year. Um, it was a really intense article to write. It was a really intense article to research. But I'm really proud of the work that I did on it, and I'm really proud to share it with y'all. Um, especially with all the news that's going around around ICE. It's been interesting for me to do this research while this news is happening, because a lot of the discussion around what's going on with ICE is is discussing as if ICE is a new problem. And again, the story is from 2007. ICE has been doing these things for so long. And we're, we're discussing it like it's this new... And it's gotten worse. 100%. I, I would never argue that. It's gotten worse. It's gotten so much worse. And their violence and their human rights abuses have been encouraged by politicians in office in a way they haven't been before. And should be talking about it. But we should have been talking about this a lot sooner. And people have been. There have been activists all around talking about this for a long time. But just learning about all of this, it's made me consider a lot of our discussions around ICE currently and around how we're 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 looking at it like how we're looking at the victims completely differently than we looked at the victims when they were more marginalized identities. Not saying that these victims who are being attacked now aren't marginalized, they are, and they're intent intensely marginalized but they're children very obviously and it's so so easy for us to be like you shouldn't do this to children what it's harder to do in public discussion is to tell people you shouldn't do this to trans people you shouldn't do this to people who are addicts you shouldn't do this to people who have AIDS because people believe that because of these things they deserve these human rights abuses and I really wish the empathy that is going to these children was also given to all of the people who've already gone through this. Not saying that the empathy should be any less for these children, because 100% this is horrifying. This is one of the most horrifying things that we I've seen in the news for a very long time. But I wish the empathy had also been given and the love and the worry and the care had also been given to people like the woman that I'm talking about in this article. And even if we can't retroactively change that, I think we can still honor her story. And that's what I'm hoping to do. So that's, I'm not sure if that's news, but it's just something I wanted to talk about before we got into anything else. Um, Our article, or not our article, this podcast is going to be a little different than it's not actually, we're not going to be talking about ice almost at all. But I just wanted to jump into that or at least brush over that a little bit before we moved on into our next section. Just because we're not going to be able to do a podcast on, on this person for a really long time. But I just wanted to talk about it because obviously it's in the news and it's something that's worth discussing. I feel. So, either way, is there any more news, Will? Not that I think of. Okay. So, we're just going to jump into talking about Miriam. I'm excited. 
I'm excited. Okay. She she seems she she was really yeah cool. she she was really and like a, I'm trying to think of like a fitting word badass yes but like incredible amazing wonderful talented beautiful <laughs> all of these things but more more than that just the power to change the world oh 100 and um what's so interested me about her story is how much her story alone affected an entire nation because mm-hmm. it wasn't like she went in with a petition she didn't go in with a thousand people behind her she went in as one person alone and she changed an entire country mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about the complexities of that because there is complexity there but i'm just so excited because her story is such an interesting one and such an inspiring one really it really is and just yeah I don't know just everything she's done Mm -hmm. even though it was it went on for so long yeah and even though it sort of she succeeded through one conversation it the repercussions of that lasted so long too yeah and like the good and the bad and it's this is going to be a really intense one so get ready for us to talk about a lot of nuance and a lot of complexity here because there's a lot to talk about Mm mm-hmm but first of all, she she was in the 1950s. In 1950, I don't have her her exact uh, birthday, but she was born in 1950. Mm-hmm. And since she was pretty young, she was slowly discovering that the the gender roles that she was born into wasn't, or the gender that she was born and assigned at birth wasn't really the one that she was correct. Yeah. And um, very interestingly, a lot of her story fits sort of the mainstream narrative around transness. She put on chalk on her face to emulate makeup. When she was like two. When she was like two. her mother saw this. And yeah, and like from a very young age, she seemed to have known that the gender roles that were forced upon her at birth were not ones that fit at all. And the gender that was forced upon her at birth was not one that fit at all. And yeah, that's a very traditional transgender narrative and that probably shaped the narrative around transness in Iran for years and years to come because she was probably one of the most prolific trans people in Iran that existed and because for that time yeah yeah for the time and because she was so open so out about it it's no wonder that she shaped so much of what Iran views as queerness and what Iran understands as transness which is a blessing and a curse because she was a great woman, I think. I think she was. She had such an amazing legacy, and she did such amazing work. But obviously, having one narrative for transness will never really work. It because won't. transness is so complex and so diverse. And some people will know from the age that they're two. And some people will figure it out when they're 100. And both of those are valid. Completely valid and completely reasonable and normal and okay. But in this case, it was from when she was two. So continue, sorry. And I don't really know much about her her youth or anything of her growing up because that's not really the story that is told about her. Mm-hmm. The story that is told about her is her quest. I'm going to call it a quest. It's pretty much a quest. It's quest. It's very dramatic. Mm-hmm. For recognition and not recognition really. But her quest for an existence that would allow her to exist both at both as a transgender person, as, as as a transgender woman, but also as a religious person. Yeah. And and her quest for recognition within Islam and and sort of allowance mm-hmm. to exist as a trans individual. Exactly. Which is something that a lot of people, a lot of queer people, can relate to having to reconcile their religion with their queerness. I think that's a very widespread experience. Mm -hmm. With most religious people who are also queer, there is conflict 
there. I'm not saying all, there's a lot of people who it's, it's not even a question. There's a lot of religions where it's not even a question, but there's a lot of religions where it is a question. And there's a lot of people where there is that conflict. And Miriam was one of those people. Mm. And I think she started sending letters to a lot of religious leaders mm -hmm. from, I don't know how old she was, but like from a, from a pretty young adult age, she started mm -hmm. sending letters. She was explaining her situation. She was saying, this is how it is. I am, I'm, I'm living this life. I'm a trans woman. Feels like, and she was just asking for, for something, for a, for a sort of acceptance or legal, not legal, but like sort of legal recognition. Yeah. That this was not a bad thing that she From recognition from a, a place of authority, mm -hmm. of specifically a place of religious authority which is you know again not an uncommon thing for someone to want for this religion or a religious authority to recognize their experience and validate that so she went out to talk to many religious leaders and actually against what a person's initial assumptions may be a lot of them replied with acceptance not 100% recognition all the time but acceptance and love because you know that's what religion specifically Islam is, is supposed to be based in and Unfortunately, um, the Iranian revolution itself did put a stall on this. With all the political turmoil that was going on, her identity was sort of seen as an afterthought and people felt more okay with discrimination. And she was forced onto hormones, actually, in an attempt to make her into a man and also put in prison multiple times. It was only actually through her connection with religious leaders that she had talked to previous to the Iranian Revolution that she was able to get out of jail and began to work as a nurse uh, throughout the war between Iran and Iraq. And she spent most of that war working and helping and being a nurse and helping people. It was only when that was over that she was able to move back to her main goal, which was seeking religious acceptance of her identity. And, and specifically, she was for one man. This one man. And his name was uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, and uh, she had previously written letters to him before the revolution, and then right before the revolution, she actually followed him to Paris, uh, but because the Iranian Revolution started, um, she was kept from seeing him. Mm -hmm. And her entire quest pretty much formed around talking to this one man, and he originally, actually, to her, her letters, he originally replied. Mm -hmm. uh, saying that just said that she would just have to live like a woman, but that wasn't what she really wanted. She, she wanted more concrete, not just someone saying, yeah, it's cool. She wanted a concrete answer, not only for herself, but for the people in her community. Because, mm -hmm. you know, she knew she wasn't the only transgender person out there. And she wanted other people to have what she wanted to have as well. So what she did is she went to uh, Komini's compound and holding a crayon with shoes tied around her neck and I just want to clarify before we jump into the next part um the shoes tied around her neck I saw in certain sources it specifically said that, that translates out to a request for shelter that being said I didn't find more than three sources that said that so I'm a little shaky on that so if you're someone who is Muslim Please do tell me if that's actually a thing. If you're a Muslim scholar, I think this is a more um, vague or like sort of obscure reference. So if you're a Muslim sco scholar who who either knows this correct or knows it's incorrect, please email us and be like, hey, yes or, or no, that's that's nothing. Someone just made that up and put it in thing. But I saw three sources it, so I'm like, I'm shakily like, I think this is a thing, but I didn't see enough that I'm like confident on. Anyways, that's just a side thing. Please do tell us if you're a Muslim scholar though. 
Um, anyways, so she reached the compound, and upon being there, the guards beat her, knocking her onto the ground. It was only when Komeini's brother got got there and told them to stop that she was even allowed into the house. By this point, Miriam was emotional and could barely make out words. All she could say was, I am a woman, I am a woman. The security guards pointed out that they were concerned about the band around uh, Miriam's chest and afraid that she was hiding explosives, so she removed it to reveal breasts which had developed during hormone therapy. Quickly, the woman in the room covered her with a shador. Um, after that, in came... Khomeini's son, Ahmad, curious as to what was happening. Miriam told Ahmad her story, and the boy was moved to tears. And after discussion, the group decided to allow Miriam to talk talk to Khomeini. They took her to where he was, and she was faced by this man that she had been trying to get to so long. And she fainted. Which, completely Same. reasonable. She had just been beaten. Completely reasonable. Yeah. Very extreme experience to go into. And this she had been fighting for for years, right? Yeah. This had been her one, one goal. And going through all that hardship and going through all that pain and hope. Yeah, I'd probably think too. Yeah, exactly. So she's taken to the corridor and she remembers this part of the story saying, I could hear Kamini raising his voice. He was blaming those around him, asking how they could mistreat someone who had come for shelter. He was saying, this person is God's servant. He had three of his trusted doctors in the room. And he asked what the difference between hermaphrodites and transsexual. Uh, what are these difficult neutrals, he was saying. Khomeini didn't know about the condition until then. And from that moment on, everything changed for me. So Miriam finally got a chance to tell Khomeini her story in full. And he listened. In a beautiful moment, he listened to what she was saying. And he understood. Miriam returned from her quest with a victory and a trophy. A shador, a badge of Iranian revolutionary womanhood, and a fatwa, which was a ruling point in Islamic law. The fatwa said, In the name of the Almighty, God willing, sex reassignment, if advised by a reliable doctor, is permissible. I hope you are safe, and those who you have mentioned treat you well. And not only allowed for her gender confirmation surgery to go forward, but opened the door for any other transgender person in Iran who wanted to go through the surgery and change their birth certificate to their true gender. With public religious figures embracing gender confirmation surgery, it opened a whole new avenues for transgender people in Iran and shifted public opinion closer towards support. Through this one act, Miriam had absolutely changed what it meant not only to be transgender in Iran, but to be transgender and Muslim. So it, it had an effect that changed the entire world because there are Muslims all over the world who live by these rules and follow the religious leaders. Mm -hmm. And just having this, this one fat one, this short, these short word, change everything. Exactly. It allowed so many people to connect their gender identity with their religion in a way that wasn't easily done before. And while there were definitely people who, who disagreed, that's common in any religion. This was a very high authority, and in the end, he came down at the side of, yes, do what you need to do. I don't remember if it was Khomeini or not, but I read this. But it's pretty much just saying that gender confirmation sur surgery doesn't change the value person. It doesn't change the soul or the basic humanity. It just changes the external. Exactly. And as, from that quote, we can move on to the more complicated part of this story, in which we admit that this isn't a perfect solution. Gender confirmation surgery is not a solution at all. It's a tool to help certain transgender people come to a better place with their identity. And for certain transgender people, it's revolutionary. 
it changes so much. And that should not be discounted. But for other transgender people, it's not a tool they want to use. And that's fine. That's normal and okay. Gender confirmation surgery is something that is good for the people who want or need it. It is not something that is good for every transgender person. And unfortunately, because this was the main transgender narrative, it was put on to transgender people that this was the path you went down. There was no other way. This it's... is how you were transgender. This is what transgender meant. And as soon as you, you discover or come to the realization that maybe you are, you identify as a person. These are the next steps. Yeah, you immediately have to go down that road and there is no except for anything else. Exactly, which is not good for obvious reasons. Not only for people who are questioning, who at some point might realize, oh, no, that's not my identity, which is something completely normal to realize. And they should be able to realize that without the pressure of having surgery that may affect their decision one way or the other. It should be a completely personal and internal understanding of yourself, not one that you're forced into some external situation that will pressure you one way or the other. And also, because homosexuality is illegal in Iran, it brings over a really big problem because people who are homosexual in Iran, and actually this is where the, our controversy that we talked about, because someone brought this up. I only, in the original, original article, I, I didn't go as far as I should have, and I only wrote like sort of a sideline where I was like, this doesn't work for everyone. But in reality, what the truth is, homosexual people in Iran or queer people in Iran who aren't transgender are often forced into this surgery to escape legal prosecution, which is horrifying. The complexity of this controversy is the, the people who brought it to me, except for one, one I, I had to, big exception, there was one person who I got to talk to and I got to sort of go back and forth with, which is always an amazing thing to do. Everyone in my audience, please feel free to talk to me. I've talked to a lot of people individually, though I don't do it publicly often, so it may intimidate you. I do this a lot, so don't think that you're being completely radical by like emailing me and be like, hey, can you fix this? A lot of people do it and we fix it and we have a nice back and forth, it's great. But this specific person, we had a great back and forth. Unfortunately, not everyone <laughs> subscribed to that. And a lot of TERFs were very angry. Um, and while there's a completely legitimate complaint there of I did not mention in this article enough that this is not a great solution for people in Iran and this is not a universally perfect story, they were like, yes, also trans women are evil. And I'm like, ooh, ooh, you had, you had something there, but you just had to go 300,000 miles into no, that's a terrible idea town instead. Um, so I got a lot of reactions from TERFs, which was really unfortunate because there was a legitimate complaint there, but I obviously couldn't have a discourse with people who among that complaint also had also transgender women shouldn't be talked about at all. Um, but I was really lucky to find one person who was not a TERF in the mountains and mountains of TERFs we had to block off of this article. I was lucky to find one person who wasn't, who helped me work through this issue, and we got to talk a lot more about the complexities of this legacy instead of just being like, trans women suck. And they've ruined everything for everyone. Which is a very unfortunate stance to take. Yeah. Incorrect. I, I said unfortunate. Incorrect. Um, but we got to talk to them a lot, and we got to edit the article, and yeah. It, it, it has to be recognized that 
it wasn't a universally perfect situation. It affected a lot of people negatively. And I don't think that blame belongs on Miriam for that at all. I think that's an unfortunate effect of something that she did that was done with positive intentions. And not only positive intentions, but I think it'd be hard to blame someone for, for that because how could she have predicted? And yeah, how could she have known? And also how could she stopped? It? Yeah, because there's nothing she could have done. She was searching for acceptance for herself. And, and this was people taking this acceptance that she got and using it to hurt other people. And mm -hmm. I think that should firmly, the blame for that should firmly lie on the people who are doing this harm, not on the person who tried to bring acceptance for her own community. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's really unfortunate and sad that her legacy got twisted in this way to harm other queer people when I do not think that was her intentions at all. And her intentions in general were, she was coming from a good place. And when she she knew that gender confirmation surgery wasn't expensive, so she created an organization to help other transgender people who didn't have the resources to have these surgeries, the people who wanted these surgeries to get them. She, yeah, she started with, like, economical funding mm -hmm. that were available, and then later the government stepped in and subsidized it, which is incredible and makes it so much easier for mm -hmm. transgender people. I'm not saying it makes it easy, it makes it easier. Exactly, because class too. is such a huge barrier. It definitely is, and just makes it easier for them to access the, the Often life-saving yeah. help. Because, again, as, as much as I, I said, like, you know, not everyone needs this, some people do. For some people, it saves lives. And, all the and way, that matters. And all the way until her death in 2012, she was always helping those in her community. And while being transgender in Iran was somewhat accepted, there were still a lot of dangerous activities and very societally not fun things happening. And every time a transgender person was arrested, Miriam was the one they called. Mm -hmm. And so she would go down to the station and bail them out every single time and there would be mobs outside trying to, to hurt her and, and hurt her car and person she bailed out. And she went through this just to support her own community and that's what she went in doing as well. She, mm -hmm. she started out with the aim of helping herself and her community and she, she ended with that as well. Exactly, which is an incredible, incredible thing to do. And I definitely think that what people twisted her legacy into should not erase all the good that she did and all the amazing things that she was able to do and all the people that she helped. Mm -hmm. And I think that her story is definitely one we should honor and one that we should cherish. But we should also <laughs> acknowledge the realities of what did happen and how people did twist this good act, this amazing heroic act into something to harm queer people which is not something that is uncommon. So often things that queer people do to help other queer people have been twisted by society into things to hurt queer people. Mm. It's scary. And it's unfortunate that this is a part of her legacy because I, I don't think we can talk about her without talking about this effect. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's very unfortunate that this effect happened at all. It, it really is. Yeah. And I think I think that's all for Miriam. Just a little full memory. Beautiful story. Yeah. That I definitely think that if you have the time or the inclination, please do more research into her. She's an incredible, incredible woman. She had an amazing life. We only have a limited amount of time here and we 
would love for you to find out more about her. So we have links on our article, we'll have links in this podcast description, we'll have links everywhere and into also, more things you can look into. And there should also be more interviews with her, both online, maybe in some library, or some databases. Exactly. And it also sent us cool things if you find them. Mm-hmm. We love she had a vi- She's a very modern figure, obviously. She died in 2012, right? Mm-hmm. She died in 2012. So there's a lot left of her legacy. So do the research and there'll be so much to learn. So thank you so much for listening. We are going to move on to the next section of our podcast. Wrecking the Queers. Wrecking the Queers, which I have hyped up. But let's give it to Will, who has the recommendation of this month. Just for the people who are new here, Wrecking the Queers is where we recommend something to all of the amazing people that is queer. Um, It is different than our other thing where we put a spotlight on a small queer organization or art project or whatever. This, we have no contact with the people who made it. Or when we do, we don't really have them on the show or we don't really talk to them about doing this recommendation. We just do it because it's neat and we absorb a lot of queer content and we want to share that with you when we can. And it is Will's turn this month. And last month, I think I brought up Ghost Wall. We have Another great recommendations. Book. Another book. If y'all can't re- recognize by now, I really love reading. And that's a great book that y'all should read. And y'all should listen to last month's podcast because it was really good. And also, I recommended a great book. Will's going to recommend something great now, too. Uh, this month's uh, Queer Wreck is a band. Uh, actually, music for once, not a book. Amazing. And it's a band called Drama Moth. Uh, Moth as in the bug. Yes. Moth as in the bug, drama as in drama. Drama queer. Yes. Drama um, as in drama queer. <laughs> and they are a band from Chicago, and they're a band with all queer peeps. And I only found out about them because I accidentally followed someone on Instagram that I followed accidentally on Tumblr. And then they posted about their band, and I was intrigued. <laughs> and I listened to their music, and they came up with an album, their first album that isn't uh, a single, mm-hmm. uh, now in May 2019. And it is really good, guys. It is it is really good. And they're like, they call themselves a pop band, and I, I see that. That's at least how they uh, talk about themselves on, uh, on, uh, on Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. It's it's very strange, and slightly ambient, and a little odd. But which is perfect. It, which, it's, it's, which makes it perfect. They write about themselves as three-piece experimental band based in Chicago, Illinois, fronted by all LGBT plus artists. And their sound is just so strange. It feels like when you may wake up in the middle of the night at 3am and everything is dark and completely black and then you hear a, a song from outside the window in a car driving past three streets down. That's the sound of it. That's what okay. it feels like. Alright, but are you sure that's a compliment? <laughs> I think it's a compliment. Okay. Anyone who loves those vibes, you should listen to Drama Moth. And even if you're, like, not sure about those vibes, you should listen to Drama Moth. That might just be my weird way of explaining it. But Will it's, like, is very strange. It's very, yeah, ethereal. And I just I just. It's love hard it so to much. describe, yeah. It's just really good. It's it makes really me good. really happy. And, you know, if you're into more lyrical queer music, you should check out B. Studwell. Not to shove in um, my recommendation. You do this every time. I do this every time. I don't care. I'm going to do a full recommendation for Beast Devil, but next month I already have a recommendation picked out, and it's a book. I'm sorry. So I need to, like, put in Beast Deadwell right now. Just look up Beast Deadwell on Spotify. So queer. Amazing. Just do it. Just listen to me. Listen I may- to Drama Mom. And Beast Devil. <laughs> listen to them both. 
at the same time. No, maybe not at the same time. They're but, very different vibes. Yes. But yeah, I, I hope you give them a listen. Mm-hmm. And I hope you enjoy them. If you do, uh, send me a message. We can talk about them. If you don't, uh, you can still talk to me about them. That's you can't. Okay. You can't. We'll, I will kick you out. <laughs> well, you're only allowed to talk to Will about Drama Moth exclusively. <laughs> I won't pass on any other emails. All right, so now we're moving to the wrecks where people wreck us. Except in this time, they wrecked me with how smart and cool they all are. So this was on our Tumblr, which is our most popular social media. I know y'all are shocked by that. A queer project being really popular on Tumblr? Whoa! Unheard of. So that's our most popular social media. And it started out with a post. Actually, we have a very complicated relationship with Tumblr. Because, um, as I mentioned earlier, that's where the terms yelled at us about our, <laughs> our article. Um, we actually ended up having to close comments on our website because there were a lot of people who hated asexual people on their yelling about asexual people. And we're like, ooh, that's... That's not worth it. It's not worth it. If you want to talk to us, you can email us. That's fine. And somehow, after they're forced to, you know, give identifying information, all the aphobic people disappeared. Interesting. How strange. It's almost like they're cowards. Anyways, we very on Tumblr specifically, we have a lot of aphobic people. We've actually blocked so many at this point that we might have blocked all aphobes off Tumblr because we haven't gotten a lot of comments about that recently. That or we just haven't done too many. Well, we did Florence Nightingale pretty recently. Mm-hmm. And she's asexual. So maybe they just shut up. Finally. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Aphobic people just shut up. But we also get a lot of TERFs and a lot of people with just bad opinions in general. That sounds harsh. I love so many people in our audience. But sometimes there's a TERF who sneaks their way in. And that's a terrible opinion to have. <laughs> and there are other, like negative opinions around race that people have brought up and we try to block the people we can and if there is possibility for reasonable discussion we try to have that but yeah at a certain point at a certain point and a lot of these people don't even follow us obviously Mm -hmm. most of them don't even follow us they're just people who come across our post and are like how dare (laughs) but that being said sometimes we get great additions and this post we've gotten almost exclusively great additions which i'm so happy about and i'm just gonna read out some of them and um Yeah, I'm just going to read out some of them. And since this is a public thing, I'm going to link it, but I'm not going to mention anyone's URLs because I don't want any hate going to them. But if you're interested, I really do recommend you check out all these people because I I just love their additions. I haven't gone through all their blogs, so maybe they're problematic. I don't know. But I love these additions to this because I think this is a discussion I have personally a lot and like with a lot of people individually, but it's not one that I've, I've been able to talk about on Making Queer History as much as I, I would like to. Anyways, so here's the original post from us. Uh, something we've run into a couple times is the idea that because a queer person was not also a good person or made a well-known mistake, that we shouldn't talk about them because they are, quote-unquote, bad representation. So let's all take a moment to recognize that history does not exist to fulfill our needs. Queer people in history have never been perfect and should not be expected to be to deserve to be recognized as queer. Queerness is not a synonym with moral purity, and the idea that it should be, or that we shouldn't talk about certain people at all because they don't fit into today's moral standards, is not constructive. Ignoring history because someone doesn't think it's clean and nice is the reason queer people are underrepresented in discussions around history in the first place. So that was the post. Good post. Thank you. Thank you. I wrote it. So, and it was just me scratching the surface of a problem that 
in general, I'm very interested in. And I'm not going to be able to read all of this because there's some really long ones, but I'm, I'm just going to read some of my favorite quotes from the responses. Okay, here we go. Queer history is trying to do two things at the same time. It's trying to uncover our history and it's trying to tell the truth about it. We are very deliberately not airbrushing them out of the picture. This is the same kind of history that reveals that the glorious battle led by a noble leader was actually a brutal slaughter in an unjust war, and that the virtuous charity led by a kind-hearted saint was actually an act of genocide. It sucks to get a, the non-airbrushed, non-storybook version of history. If you're used to the histories where Christopher Columbus was amazing, was an amazing discoverer, and George Washington never told a lie, and the Roman Empire was the height of civilization, everything is suddenly so complicated and, mer and depressing, and you want heroes insane. I still want heroes insane. But if you take the lens and turn it on the rest of history, you start seeing that they're not so bright and noble either. Nobility and goodness turn into much more complicated and elusive of issues and you might have to fight the people in power to achieve them. So that's a great addition. Uh, here's another one. Also, if we only ever talk about historical queer people who are shining examples of perfection, who never did anything that would be considered bad in their time or ours, then it creates a pressure for living queer people to also be flawless, never make mistakes, and never have a wrong opinion, etc. Which is something that I think about a lot. This is out of the quote. Which is something that I think about a lot how much pressure people put on historical people and how that reflects how much pressure they put on contemporary queer people, mm -hmm. including themselves. These people who put these ridiculous standards on queer people in history probably also put these ridiculous standards on themselves, which is worrying. Yeah, because that gives a way for a lot of unhealthy thought mm -hmm. and a lot of non-healthy way of growth. Exactly, because you're going to make mistakes. Mm -hmm, 100%. You have to. That's important part Everyone's of development. Not only to not make that mistake anymore, but to learn how to react to mistakes. And if in your head you can't even comprehend of a queer person from history that you like making a mistake, how are you going to comprehend yourself making a mistake? And if you can't comprehend yourself making a mistake, then you won't be able to accept it when you do. Mm-hmm. So you'll deny that it's true, or you'll shut down, or you'll have a breakdown. There are so many terrible reactions you can have because you're not able to accept that mistakes happen. That's just how it works. And for me, learning history has been a way of setting precedent. And for a lot of people in history, this is why we tell a lot of queer history, is for a lot of queer people to be like, oh, we've existed for a long time. And a part of that also has to be We've made mistakes for a long time. We've been problematic. We've been problematic. And you know what we need to do? Move on and grow. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's another one. And also, if we don't talk about toxic, abusive, and criminal people in our own community in the past, we won't have the tools necessary to spot and deal with them in the present and future. There's a strong thread of historical revisionism that says LGBTQ people are inherently good, inherently pure, and inherently non-abusive. Domestic violence and rape and child abuse and sexual harassment are cis-heteropatriarchal problems. They don't occur here. It leaves survivors feeling like they're the first person to ever experience such a thing, like naming these problems is something only our enemies do. It leaves bystanders confused, unable to spot problems of abuse or react properly. It hinders the growth of our children and youth who need to learn about what power they have and how to use it responsibly. And it lets abusers get away with it. So, you know, it's important. Um, here's another really long one, but I'm going to try to pull out the good parts. But again, you should read all of this. One of the griefs and joys of history is finding that everyone in the past was human. 
The same people who are capable of unbelievable grace are capable of being monsters, and almost everyone falls somewhere in between. Um, they go on to give a lot of amazing examples that you should definitely read into. I'm not going to read into all of them because I haven't properly fact-checked them all. I'm pretty sure all of them are correct, but please do fact-check them independently. You should always fact-check independently. We live on the internet. We know this. Anyways, moving on. Uh, there's no such thing as an unproblematic person. We don't work that way. A friend of mine loves to point out that he's actually hopeful that someday people can comment on his currently radical views that they are, by later standards, conservative and ba backwards looking. And that's completely real. A lot of things that we look now as absolutely backwards. Here's a great example. Uh, we're out of the quote again. Sorry. I hope that my tone showed that, but maybe it didn't. Rather quote again. One example of this is Magnus Hirschfeld, actually. I think most people who recognize that name, by the way, Magnus Hirschfeld, was an amazing queer man in sort of pre-World War II Germany. Anyways, that's all you need to know to understand what I'm about to say. But you should learn more about him. He's rad. Anyways, Magnus Hirschfeld... A lot of his ideas now would seem super aggressive, and actually a lot of them are. He participated in human zoos, guys. Yeah, that's a big yuckers. That's a huge yuckers. He, you should actually do a lot of um, research, if possible, into his treatment of black women. Horrifying. And actually, not to get into more discourse, but we actually had a response to one of our, our posts because we, um, I think I just mentioned a couple different uh, queer people and how they're our ancestors and we need to like be proud of some of the amazing things that we did and feel the connection to them because while we don't have a biological connection, we do have a connection and we deserve to be able to recognize that. And in that post, I mentioned Oscar Wilde as well as Marsha P. Johnson and Magnus Hirschfeld. And someone responded to it very mad because I included Oscar Wilde, who was anti-Semitic. And I included him in a post that spoke positively of one of the things he did in his life. Specifically, I spoke about the speech he gave in trial when he was defending his queer. And I also mentioned Magnus Hirschfeld, who was a Jewish man. So I mentioned an anti-Semitic person and a Jewish person in the same post, and I talked positively about both of them. And 100%, we need to talk about him being anti-Semitic. But this person somehow didn't mention that I mentioned a black woman while also mentioning a man who was racist towards black women. Well, he's racist in general, but he was specifically misogynistic and racist. He had that beautiful, horrifying combination of misogyny and racism. And there, there's no blame that I'm trying to put on this person, and I'm not going to mention their name or their URL or whatever, because I, I don't want y'all to like flood their comments and be like, hey, you suck, or less polite iterations of that. <laughs> but I was very frustrated. And I've thought about that comment a lot because no, that's not how history works. We can't separate everyone into little pods of here's the people we can talk positively about, here's the people we can't. And I don't think anywhere in that post I was like, the perfect man, Oscar Wilde, the unproblematic hero, Oscar Wilde, because Oscar Wilde was horrible in a lot of ways. He was also very homophobic and we don't talk about that at all the way we deserve to. But I didn't mention that in that post because I think it was at most 300 words and that's not what it was about. We talk about it. I think we've talked about him being anti-Semitic a lot actually, but we don't mention it in the article either because in the article, what we talk about is the trial. We don't talk about his previous life. We don't even talk about his work almost at all. We don't mention almost any, I don't think we even quote any of his massive work because well, that's not what we're talking about. And in that post, that wasn't what we were talking about. And that's not at all meant to say that we shouldn't talk about it. But sometimes that's not what we're talking about. And again, this person didn't mention somehow that probably because they, they did mention how much they admired and loved Magnus Hirschfeld, which I do too. 
I admire so much of what Magnus Hirschfeld did, but somehow they didn't mention his race, which, by the way, is in his Wikipedia article. And it's talked about other places too, but it's not hard to find. And maybe they didn't know about it, which is completely normal, and we should talk more about it. But we are so selective. People want to be so selective, and it's completely natural. But we need to have space to talk about both. And we can't shut down one conversation for the other. We can't shut down the conversations about what's powerful and beautiful about these people to talk about what's awful and horrible about these people. And we can't shut down the conversations about what's horrible and awful about these people to talk about what's beautiful and magical about these people. Both discussions are absolutely vital. It's not a choice. It's a beautiful, huge discussion that we're going to be having. We don't have to choose one or the other. And people are going to put forward the idea that we do. And it's a lie. And it's not really possible. And it's not. It's easy. It's so much easier to be like, Oscar Wilde sucks because he was anti-Semitic. And he does. That is a shitty thing that he did. And we deserve to talk about that. You cannot dismiss all of his work because of it. Not just because we lose work. Because... <laughs> It'd be worth it if that ended anti-Semitism. If, if the anti-Semitism that was created by Oscar Wilde's work was destroyed by ignoring it, yes, that would be worth it. But it's not going to be. What's going to happen is we stop recognizing anti-Semitism in the queer community, which is a huge problem in the queer community because we do not talk about the anti-Semitism in the queer community. And as someone who's talked to a lot of different people, there's a lot of anti-Semitism in the queer community. And if we can't recognize it in our history, how will we be able to recognize it in our present? We need to look at it. We don't need to shy away or ignore or shut in tiny little boxes. We need to look at it and analyze the fact that people who are beautiful and create beautiful things have done awful, horrific, destructive things. And those comments were so valuable. And I love them all. And I'm gonna, again, link them. And it was just this discussion I really enjoyed having. Because it's a discussion that I'm really passionate about. Because if you haven't noticed, we've gotten in trouble a lot, specifically for writing about people who are queer and have also done bad things. Specifically in, in one, I can remember a couple specific instances and I'm going to mention them and I'm not going to say anyone's names because again, please don't send these people any hate. We're, we're a big organization and that's not what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to shame people. We're just trying to learn. In, in one case, there was a person who was a member of a fascist organization. And we were like, he was a member of a fascist organization. And I assumed that upon hearing this person was a member of a fascist organization, everyone would be like, yes, bad thing to be. But someone responded by being like, why didn't you point out that that's a bad thing? And I'm like, y'all know. Y'all know, right? Y'all know being a fascist is bad. And they're like, you, you should have gone on longer about, and then they went on this long thing about how, how we didn't talk about it enough. And I'm like, okay, one, we almost always limit our, our articles to at most 1,500 words. So we didn't have room to go on a thousand word rant about how fascism's bad. Two, there's a limit to what we can do for y'all. We can give you the information. We can even, and we do often if you've read any of our articles, say what we think about it. But at a certain point, y'all are gonna make your own con conclusions. And we not only accept that, we encourage that. We encourage you to come to different conclusions with us. Not with this one, fascism's bad. But we believe that y'all are smart enough to see that someone's a part of a fascist organization and be like, ooh, that's not nice, that's bad. And even if you weren't, are we gonna change that with an extra 500 words talking about how fascism's evil? I don't think so. We give you the information and I trust that y'all will make your own conclusion. And then there was another one where we talked about um, a group that was anti-sex work. And in the thing, we're like, 
this is bad. This is a bad thing to be. So we did the thing that the people, again, these are different people. So obviously they weren't like, it wasn't the same person commenting, but we did the thing that we were supposed to do. We talked, we were like, hey, anti being an anti-sex worker is bad. Don't do that. Bad. The fact that they were that is bad. Here's why they were that. That was a bad opinion to have. <laughs> and we got so, specifically, we were talking about asexual people in this article. And we got so many responses being like, how dare you talk? about someone who is anti-sex work. How dare you? This is actually the reason we closed down comments because people got so mad that we discussed someone who was anti-sex or a group that was anti-sex work. Y'all, there are people in the queer community who are anti-sex work and we need to talk about that. There are asexual people who are anti-sex work and we need to talk about that. That doesn't make them less asexual. They're still queer. They're just making bad choices. Just like any branch of the queer community, Can asexual people, can make bad choices. Yeah. And these people were aphobic people who were like, this is the reason we shouldn't talk about asexual people. And I'm like, if you're looking for a branch of the queer community that has not been anti-sex work, specifically just this problem, this is the only one we're talking about, not racism and all the other things that come along, you're not gonna find them. Asexual people deserve room to make mistakes and still be respected for their queerness. As does anyone. As does every queer person. Yeah. Punishing queer people by taking away their access to queerness and queer terms and the respect of their identity when they make a mistake or when they do something wrong is homophobic, it's, it's aphobic, it's, it's dehumanizing, it's queerphobic. Whichever identity is, it's phobic of that. Mm -hmm. You don't get to take away someone's queerness when you don't like them. That's not how that works. And we need to recognize that in a major way because we're not. Right now, we are failing at that. And that's something we need to learn how to do properly. And it's just another iteration of, you know, those things where like people had all those posters of like Donald Trump kissing Putin. And they're like, ha ha, the biggest insult I could give this man is calling him gay. And being like, it's homophobia. It's homophobia. That's, that's what it is. Call it what it is, pal. It is. It's homophobia. And they're like pretending like it's, it's funny because this is a bad person. It's okay to be homophobic if it's a bad person, right? Right? It's not. It's not okay to be homophobic if it's a bad person. And it's not okay to dismiss someone's sexuality or someone's gender identity because they're a bad person. They're a bad person. They also deserve to have their gender identity respected. You don't take away basic human dignity because people fuck up, even in major awful ways. We have talked about queer Nazis. We will respect the fact that they were queer. We will also respect the fact that they were Nazis and yes. bad people. And we need to talk about that too. Yes. <laughs> and they deserve no respect on that level. But they deserve, all queer people deserve the respect of being recognized that they were queer. I feel like that shouldn't be as controversial as it is. Like, there are queer Nazis now. There are queer Nazis now. And we need to talk about that, too. Isn't, like, Milo queer? I Wasn't mean, he gay? Maybe, Isn't he gay? Maybe? I, I don't know. He's a gay man, and he's a Nazi. And we need to if talk. If we don't recognize that we had historical queer Nazis, how are we going to recognize our contemporary ones? How are we going to recognize when people come into our spaces and are saying Nazi propaganda, but are also queer? It's not new. Queer Nazis are not new. Nazis are not new. Queerness is not new. Queerness is not new. All of these things are not new, and the fact that they're not new should inform our present and our future and teach us how to deal with them. But if we ignore those things, we lose what we could learn from them. So that's my long rant. Sorry, not sorry. If you have any additions or corrections, please send them in. We are always willing to talk and listen the best we can. Our email is queerhistorypatreon at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. 
and you can reach us on most social media. That is Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and, and most recently, Pinterest! We have a Pinterest now! We're on Pinterest! Okay, y'all, before y'all laugh at me, which I hear y'all doing, I hear it. I love Pinterest. I genuinely love Pinterest. It's my favorite social media. Which is valid. Not only valid, it's correct. Okay. <laughs> that might be a stretch. It's my favorite social media. It doesn't have to be yours, but it's amazing. They just banned people who are pedophiles. They just banned them. Isn't that neat? That is, that is solid. They just banned pedophiles straight away. 10 out of 10, Pinterest. What other social media does that? Zero. Well, I'm sure there's some. Probably. But um, the major ones, like maybe, I don't know, Tumblr could maybe learn a little bit from that. Shout out to Pinterest for... Shout out to Pinterest for banning pedophiles. What a nice thing to do. Didn't they also uh, ban white supremacists? Oh, yeah. So, like, um... You're not even allowed to, like, search up, like, white supremacist things. Like, you're allowed to search it, like, historically, but not, like, they don't let, like, white supremacist content onto their platform. Bless. What a neat thing to do. What a solid stance to take. Neat. So we're on Pinterest, folks. We're on Pinterest. And I'm loving it. <laughs> so follow us on Pinterest. Exactly. Follow us on, on Pinterest. Pinterest. You should be on Pinterest, y'all. Revolution. Make Pinterest queer. Yeah? Y'all yeah. can do that. that is, I believe in you. That is solid. I need more queer content on my Pinterest. Take it away from the Christian white women. Please. Do it. Unless you're Christian and white and woman. I guess you can be that and queer. Also, get on Pinterest. And then follow us. Follow up, please. This will be great. Make Pinterest queer. We're changing our thing <laughs> to making Pinterest queer. Wait, making queer Pinterest? <laughs> Either way, we're making Pinterest queer. Come join us. Also, do you know what you should do? Help us make Patreon queer. Become a patron. It'll be great. We'll be paid for our labor, which would be super neat. Because we do a lot of it. There's a lot of work that goes into the podcast. There's a lot of work that goes into the articles. There's a lot of work that goes into all of the social medias. There's a lot of work that goes into researching and, and financial and, yeah, everything we do. This is a full-time Every, job. Everything for, Laura does, yeah. specifically. And I would love to be paid. That'd be neat. That would be pretty sweet. So... Please, please become a patron. We really value all of our patrons, and they get so much stuff. Recently, we got to send out a whole bunch of them free bookmarks. Do you want a free bookmark one day? And they're gorgeous bookmarks. They're really, really good bookmarks. Dean designed them, so y'all know. Y'all know what that fucking means. It's great. So if y'all want free bookmarks, come, come become a patron. Yeah. Like, you don't have to become a patron to get the bookmarks. It's You can just like the post but the post is actually going to be deleted today so you're you've missed out on your chance if you're not a patron but our patrons haven't missed out on a chance they got free bookmarks and i'm probably going to do this again because it was a lot of fun i got to send all these different people bookmarks and i also sent them like stickers and letters because i just i don't know like it was fun they're my patrons i love them so yeah i got to send them all these cool things and if you want to be sent all these cool things and maybe have access to a really cool um playlist become a patron it'd be nice what is our patreon our patreon is www.patreon.com slash queer history so find us there you can find all of these links to all of our social media to our shop to all, everything that we're doing you can find it on our website www.makingqueerhistory.com what a neat thing mm-hmm excellent Alright, thank you so much for listening. This podcast is so long, so we're going to try and edit it down as much as we can. Fingers but, uh, crossed. I'm sorry if you had to sit down through like two hours of this. It's actually right now we have recorded one hour and 15 minutes. Okay. One hour and 15 minutes. So y'all can know 
how long this originally was. And we'll see what we get it down to. Yeah, we'll see what we get it down to. Be like, what did you cut out? It was probably us yelling at our cats to, like, quiet down. Yeah. Mostly. We do a lot of that. Let's leave that in, because the cats just were loud again. Let's just leave that in, so y'all can know what we're saving you from, where those minutes went. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for listening and for all your support. And remember, history is queer than you think. We have always existed, and we are still here, telling the stories of those slung dead. We won't disappear, we're taking the pen back into our own hands. We live and we breathe and we keep creating, taking a stand. History is queerer than you think. Yeah.